Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manucheri and today's episode is on children's dentistry with the wonderful Dr. Maria Kalkani. today's episode we talk about everything you need to know about children's dentistry, um, how children's teeth differ from adult teeth and what implications that has for their dental care and we talk about the ideal oral hygiene routines for children and what their diet should consist of. I really hope you enjoy this episode and now without further ado let's get into the episode. Hi, Dr. Kilkani, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you tell us a, a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? So my name is Maria Kalkani and I am a specialist pediatric dentist. My specialist training, that was an interesting one. Um, it, uh, I did my NHS of specialist registrar training um, pathway and that was up in Leeds so um, that was uh, where I was allocated when I applied. It was different at the time. Um, there weren't as many posts available mm. to specialise so you had to commit that oh, you really love the, the specialty, mm. you really want to become a paid dentist, children's dentist so you find a way to get it done. Um, so I was commuting <laughs> to Leeds for about four years um because obviously family and everything was in London so oh. I had to be there for five days a week uh staying like in a small room along with some very young undergraduate students <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very interesting they all said they really respected me because I was like their mother there because <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine they were like 19 year old children or you know very young people saying oh you know be quiet you know <laughs> they were just parting a bit um it was wow. really, really good fun um and yeah but it was four years for me uh because I did a an academic pathway so I had incorporated a lot of research and I did a master's degree as well at the same time mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it was a very busy busy training yeah uh, you must have been very committed to commute to Leeds how how long did your commute take you actually, like no, it's not that far. It's not that far, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have good train connections, as I found out. Um, so I, I think it was about just, I think it's two hours to get on the train. Um, so for a weekly journey, it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. I know, you know, I know people that commute about over an hour um, to get to London every day on yeah. the train, and mm -hmm. I have to say that the train line was quite reliable at the time um so it was it was a big thing and I had you know very supportive friends and family because that was <laughs> an interesting time yeah and where did you do your undergraduate training so my the thing is I started my specialist training quite kind of far down the line compared to what nowadays dentists would sort of um, think mm. that that's the you know quick pathway to do your you know, undergraduate training and then do a couple of years and straight specialise. So I graduated in 2007 mm -hmm. um, and uh, I graduated from Greece because I'm originally Greek. 
uh, and um, I finished my first of my dental uh, BDS training, so my mm -hmm. basic dental training there. And but I had done, I had spent a few months before on my during my fourth year, I was at Guy's. So I decided I wanted to come and see, and I, I did oral surgery at Guy's. So I mm -hmm. went along with the students of that year and I met a lot of people there. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, the following year, so that summer of the fourth year, when you guys might have done your elective somewhere really nice and, you know, to an island far away, uh, back when you could travel. And um, I came into my elective in London. So I did my lecture at Kai's. And then as soon as I graduated in the summer, I got a job uh, at Guy's um, in oral surgery. And that's history. And when, when was it that you decided you wanted to specialize in pediatric dentistry? I think I agree with your journey because I think you've had time to actually think about what you want to do. And when the time came, you were quite committed, you know, committed enough to commute to Leeds. Um, but I think... Uh, you know, having seen my colleagues, they tend to rush into specializing. So as you said, they will go to, once they've graduated, they will do a couple of years in hospital and straight into specialist training. And that might not necessarily be enough time to decide if that's, you know, that specialty is what they want to commit to. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to specialize in pediatric dentistry? That, what you, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I'm now obviously, you know, speaking to you like by experience and what I have you know the thought process I've been through all these years mm. um I I always enjoyed pediatric dentistry so um I it, I really enjoyed it as an undergrad although I think our undergrad exposure back in the day wasn't that great um but I um I, I knew I liked peds so I knew I liked the the cohort of patients that you see when you are you know, you're seeing children within in pediatrics. And the main thing I believe now is that I think pediatric chooses you because you have to have a certain, I feel, personality and mm. character to commit yourself to just treating children all day. Um, it's harder than being a teacher. So Yeah, I can imagine. So you yeah. are managing characters and, and, you know, everything that comes with a child but at the same time, you're managing it with not treatment. Mm. So it's a, it's a very challenging specialty. And I think you have to actually have it deep inside you that, you know, you want your day to be surreal completely, to be singing silly songs all day and be, be happy with that, you know, yeah. um, and feel calm. And, you know, that's something that you enjoy. So I, I knew I, I am as a person like that. Mm. So I enjoy that. Uh, but I hadn't committed to peds early so coming out of dental school mm. I loved surgery I absolutely loved it and that's why I was because I was exposed to a great department and mm. some great you know I was very lucky some great surgeons and teachers and professors um and I for the first I would say it was about three four years I was committed to becoming a very good surgeon not specializing Mm -hmm. but getting as much experience as I could because I found this fascinating mm -hmm. and I'm like you know what obviously as we all know when we come out of dental school you know you have experience in dental surgery but obviously you can't have you know you need more yeah. you need more exposure and more practice mm. um so I I hadn't I had it in the back of my head but I went along 
with the flow. So I thought, mm -hmm. you know what? An opportunity comes for me to do a couple of max because I did a couple of years of max faxes. That's kind of oral surgery, head and neck, and all that. Very challenging, but what can I learn from this? And mm -hmm. you know, get experience. And then once you you had a broader experience of other things, then you say, okay where because i would like to i mean i knew i wanted to specialize in something how mm. can i now funnel it down to something mm. more specific and narrow mm -hmm. and i would always advise you know whenever i teach students or what have you do give yourself an opportunity to discover what you like and you enjoy before you commit mm. to it as you said mm. you know you learn about yourself but also you become a more mature clinician when it, when it comes to Yes, I can see a child now and I can do surgical procedures on a child because I've been learning these for years before yeah. I started doing kids. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think definitely what you said about pediatrics being very challenging, that's completely true because you're still doing all the procedures that need a lot of skill. And it's just that added pressure of your patients present a challenge as well. I was very lucky in that I did a dental core training year at St. Thomas's in pediatrics. Yeah. and as an undergraduate, I actually didn't really like peds, I'll be honest. And I think that had to do with um, our training because, you know, it was on a Thursday morning. We were going in this outreach, which was a very, very old clinic, seeing one or two patients. And it just wasn't very pleasant. We didn't like it. Um, but probably my dental core training, I did six months of pediatrics probably was my favorite training that I've done mm -hmm. since I qualified or in the whole of my oh, dental journey. New trainees into peds. This is a lovely <laughs> here. We're all very smiling, friendly. Just yeah. Down. No, it was so wonderful. And what you were saying, like we would have to just come up with new ways to deal with challenging situations. We had Peppa Pig pay playing on the screens all the time. You know, it was just, it was so fun. And like, you know, you'd walk in and the waiting room was full of children watching Frozen on TV. And I, I, I agree with you. I think you have to have a certain personality type to enjoy that and be able to do well in, because you still have to treat children. You don't, you're not just there to play with them, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Practice. You, you have to be efficient, you know, yeah. because we're not going to do anything today or, you know, the next yeah. day. Let's have expectations from you yeah. you know your, your bosses have expectations from you yeah yeah absolutely and I think it's it's that extra challenge of you basically have two patients because you have that child and you have the parents who are constantly looking over your shoulder and naturally they're very concerned they're worried about their children so I found that really really daunting because you know it was one thing treating the child but then the parent was looking at you know every single thing you were doing um, and rightly so, you know, if, if it was my child, I'd be the same. I'd be standing, you know. Oh, mommy, mommy dentists are the worst. Oh, yeah. oh, oh gosh, no. Because <laughs> they understand that they will say, you know, no, I'm going to let you do what you have to do. I, I don't know. But, but, you know, are you going to do this? And then, oh, God, <laughs> check that molar on the right. Is there something that, no, 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 I shouldn't. I shouldn't. It says, because I've got a few mummies, that colleagues of mine, and they um, bring the kids. So, obviously, it's a different relationship when it's your child. Yeah. And sometimes it's a lot easier if, you know, although you're a dentist yourself, your child sees another professional because mm -hmm. you kind of establish this relationship of authority is different.
When should children start going to the dentist? As soon as they can is the honest answer to that. There has been a fantastic campaign um, by British Society of Pediatric Dentistry, BSPD. Um, and these people, you know, go and check their website. They're amazing. I'm just a member for them. Um, but I think the guys that are doing an excellent job to promote uh, oral health children. So it's called a first check by the first birthday, check by one. Um, so we all advise parents to get their children checked uh, by a dentist before the first birthday mm-hmm. or as soon as the first tooth comes through so whatever comes first mm-hmm. now to be practical I would say if it's somebody's first child for sure mm-hmm. as soon as you can if you see some teeth even if there's no problem come as soon as you come to the mm-hmm. dentist so the dentist then can sit down with you and explain to you the first of what's happening what's mm-hmm. teething discuss about how to look after them as soon as they come through, discuss about diet, about toothbrushing, about, you know, even things like breastfeeding, all mm. these aspects are absolutely natural and normal in mm-hmm. the growth of the child, but see how we can actually give you advice. So whatever you do, mm. it doesn't, you know, put any teeth at risk at any point. Obviously, if a mummy has three kids and she's already done that, she might want to bring the third one a bit later, you know, just be flexible. But that first advice for the first child, I think, is it's perfect to be six months to the first year. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's not necessarily that we're going to do anything, but it's just to check. And I think with children, the sooner they come to the practice, the sooner they're able to get used to the environment so that if they do need treatment in the future, they're comfortable. You know, this isn't a completely alien experience for them. They've been there before. Um And like you said, you know, things like breastfeeding and diet, they're very, very important and they have a big impact on the teeth. And to be honest, I don't think people know enough about it uh, in terms of when they should stop breastfeeding, the risks of, you know, overexposure to breastfeeding, for example. Um, When do you when would you say um, would be a good age to stop breastfeeding and start to wean them off that? I I have obviously been a pediatric dentist. I have done a lot of reading and, and understanding the evidence that we have on mm. the subject. I am, again, very sensitive about the special um, part that breastfeeding has for a child and a mummy. Mm-hmm. And we have, obviously, the benefits, the health benefits mm. that breast milk has for a baby, a newborn baby, mm-hmm. and we say up to, you know, the first year of their life. It's definitely, definitely for the first six months and then definitely beneficial for them. Um, and then at some point after that, I will never, I will never tell a parent when to stop breastfeeding. I will advise them though, the way they kind of time breastfeeding and mm. the way it becomes maybe a bit of a habit and a bit of a comfort thing for the baby and the mum, this might increase the risk of having dental decay. So mm-hmm. I would say, and I would advise maybe younger dentists than when they give advice about breastfeeding just be a bit more understanding mm. of what the situation is mm. and obviously mothers want to help children they don't do that mm-hmm. because they they want any harm to happen of so breastfeed yeah. itself so the, the milk itself it wouldn't cause a decay as we know decay is a multifactorial you know, mm-hmm. um, disease so when we're talking about tooth decay it's not just one thing it's things happening creating an imbalance that's mm-hmm. unfavorable. And that's what happens. 
So I normally say to them, it's their choice and we have to respect that. It has to be an informed choice. And I think this is where pediatricians and us and maybe nutritionists, if they come along, sometimes do seek advice, give that sort of advice to them that, okay, if this becomes a bit of habit and it happens at certain times or random times or in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and every time is like carbohydrates because it's high mm. in carbohydrates breast milk compared to cow's milk goes on the teeth and these teeth are not being brushed because it's impossible to brush a baby's teeth you know at five o'clock in the morning if they wake mm. up and do that every night mm. this imbalance increases the risk of having decay mm. So, because I've had mums that came to me and said, well, and especially, unfortunately, it happens for male dentists. They say, well, you breastfeeding your child has caused that. Mm. So my personal approach would be to look at this with more understanding. So say, okay, so does the benefit from when your child has a, you know, a proper balanced diet, they're having solids, they're having their fruit, their veggie, you know, they have the meat. Do they actually get much benefit from that breastfeeding mm -hmm. nutritionally? That would outweigh the risk of having decay. Mm -hmm. That's how I would see that. Mm -hmm. And I would reason with parents. And yeah. I think I think it's a good way. And that's again, that's my personal approach, is how yeah. with evidence, but again with some empathy with the mums and that. That's yeah, and, and that's the same to do with, you know, children taking a milk bottle to bed usually for comfort. You know, milk, as we know, is high in carbohydrates and even that is bathing the teeth in in that sugar essentially at night when the salivary flow at, is at its lowest. So that can also cause um, decay. What, what's your advice to, to um, parents who give either a milk bottle or a juice bottle to their baby to go to sleep at night? Because that is something they do for comfort as well, don't they? So that, no, that's right. And that's a hard one because you have to think, you're talking to parents now mm. that probably they might, well, not probably, they, they have jobs and they have a life going on and they want, a, you know, a calm household. They can't, you know, survive in a child's screen every night that they mm. need to tell them. Um, I would explain, especially with juice, um, I would explain the risks of having that because it's high mm -hmm. risk and we know that we have evidence that if you have juice with pure sugar, really, in bed um, and bathe in pure sugar, your teeth, you will get decay. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, something that we know will happen. So I would say, okay, we have to compromise slowly and then maybe they can have a bottle and they can have, you know, they can start having some water in there. Mm -hmm. so they, will, they can still have the bottle for reassurance and for the, you know, the, the sensation they have in the bottle at night. Mm. But they should not have juice for that. Yeah. Adamant. Strict, now, yeah. Cow's milk. We know that it's the safest after water, mm -hmm. but again, only as a transition. So mm -hmm. it might be difficult. I would say ideally, no, no, mm -hmm. no. Brush your teeth at night and nothing after that. Mm -hmm. That's was what you know what the guidelines say, what the books say. But I just think as I grow older and I just more parents and mums and dads they come in you have to think okay I want to give advice that's actually realistic and helpful mm -hmm. yes in my head it's like it's a no you know yeah go to bed and sometimes it will work but I think it comes down to us dentists you me all the dentists that might be listening how can I now help these parents they want to help the kid mm -hmm. to have tooth decay and have to go to hospital have mm -hmm. their teeth removed 
So what can I tell them? Obviously, you know, not sugarcoating things. It will, it is a risk. They have to know that, but give some helpful advice mm -hmm. about maybe okay. gradually, definitely stop the juice, throwing some cow's milk. And, yeah. You know, brush the teeth, last thing before that. Mm -hmm. So at least some fluoride is on the teeth when the milk goes in. Is it ideal? No, it's not ideal. It gives some sort of balance. It's a practical way of, and I think what I tend to advise is if you if they're particularly, you know, used to having juice or milk and they can't go straight to water, I would always say to try and dilute it bit by bit so that you eventually get to pure pure water. So that, and that seems to work quite well. What would you say is the general difference between baby teeth and adult teeth? As we know, they, there are very big differences between them uh, and parents kind of can tell, but what, what, what would you say is the big difference between baby teeth and adult teeth? I would say um, the main practical difference and that I think I have to explain to parents myself is that obviously they're smaller teeth. Mm -hmm. So they're not as big teeth as the adult teeth, mm -hmm. but they have some structural structural differences. Um, the way the protective outside layer, which the, we know is the enamel of the teeth, mm -hmm. it's actually thinner in baby mm -hmm. teeth, and the the nerve inside the tooth is actually bigger in mm -hmm. comparison to the, the size of the tooth, so it's more prominent. And what it means practically is that decay in baby teeth can happen a lot faster than mm -hmm. it would and would progress in an adult so you might see that between you know even six monthly um recalls you can see interproximal decay happening in a baby tooth and, and you know getting a lot bigger mm -hmm. that you would see if you saw an adult tooth mm -hmm. the parents do get surprised they come in and say but we checked a year ago mm -hmm. and we didn't have any cavities and now we have cavities and that's something that you know doesn't surprise me if obviously there are the cleaning problems or brushing problems or sugar diet issues, but it can progress a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. It can affect the nerve of the tooth a lot quicker. From a general point of view, what would you say parents should look out for as being normal? And what should they look out for as being abnormal, whether to do with the eruption of teeth? So at what stage would you say you would start investigating if teeth had, haven't come through because, you know, as, as children get older and they have their teeth come through, we know that it's a very messy stage where teeth are falling out, teeth are coming in, and it's very kindly in our dental uh, training. It's called the ugly duckling stage, which isn't very kind. But no. what would you say would be normal and what would be abnormal in terms of when the teeth come through and how they look when they come through? So again, we're talking about time windows, and I I, quite, I always use that to to parents because yeah, there is a sort of a frame of time that things can happen, and everyone's different. Every child is different, um, and some boys and girls can start getting you know start teething quite early before even six you know three four months old. For me, that's quite young, quite mm -hmm. early, but it can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and or some of them might not have a tooth before the first year at all. And again, that's normal. Um, when I say normal, again, it's, it's expected. It has been described and it doesn't mean that it will have a detrimental effect in the mm -hmm. development. 
teeth mm -hmm. or mouth or speech or anything. Um, so usually we say by six months, we would expect the first tooth coming through. Six months to a year, you'll see usually the bottom incisors, the bottom teeth poking through. They're very cute, those ones. I know. <laughs> One or two are coming through, they're drooling everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they don't sleep and parents are like, no, oh, we're cheating. Um, and then you'll slowly see after the bottom teeth, you might see the top teeth and then little bits and bobs popping here and there. Um, so that's what normally happens. And you would say the full set of the 20 baby teeth that need to come through, you expect them to complete by the third birthday. You, you might think, well, that's quite late, but mm -hmm. it's still expected. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, if you, I see a child that, you know, they're one and a half, two, they haven't got any teeth, through then that obviously prompts me to investigate mm. happen. that's not that is alarming it kind of requires investigation mm -hmm. the, not to panic if it's been a year and they haven't seen tooth through i mean a dentist can always have a look and have a little feel of gums and see if actually something is trying happening to yeah there are obviously conditions that are quite rare and they can cause you know delayed eruption of all baby teeth or you know even impediment of eruption of teeth um, which a dentist then can identify and uh, investigate better, but that's that's quite rare. It's, it's mm -hmm. more like medical syndromes that would have that, and and that quite quite rare. Parents do know themselves if there is something else going on, um, with a child they will tell you, well, they've been diagnosed with something else, and mm -hmm. um, you can you can take it further. When we go through the stage now that we changing teeth, and that's from the age of five six years. Mm -hmm. And you start seeing, you know, baby teeth getting wobbly at the bottom again, starting. Uh, at the same time, we have the adult molars at the back, the six-year molars, and they don't have a predecessor. They don't, they don't have a tooth before them. Mm -hmm. wobbly. So, unfortunately, these teeth go unnoticed for teeth. The parents don't realise they've come through. So, oh, you've got your baby, your adult molars through. Like, no, we haven't. <laughs> and they're very adult, but they're here, trust me. <laughs> With parents, usually what I've been seeing a lot of is they'll come in and they'll say, well, her friends of school have got their teeth. Why hasn't she got? And I think it's always important to remember different people are different. They develop differently. So you should always compare that child to their own normal. So exactly like you said, if the tooth on one side has come through, the tooth on the other side should come through within I usually say even up to a year, a year and a half, just keep an eye on it. But if if it's any longer or like you said, if the baby tooth isn't even wobbly after six months of the other one coming through, then that's something to worry about. So always compare it to themselves. You know, some people are earlier, some people are later. So there is a variation of normal. We say, you know, these, these teeth should come yeah. through by this stage plus or minus 18 months for example so don't don't worry if their friends at school have got their teeth and they don't just compare it to themselves and and even you know siblings vary a lot like you know I see families for checkups and someone is 12 and they have the same teeth that their you know like eight-year-old brother has sometimes even so it, there is a variation there so we shouldn't be too um too strict so even with children you can see you know one you know hit a growth spurt a lot sooner than the other mm. and you can explain to them that this is how you know it follows it follows you know the whole growth of, of the child some children you know get tall really quickly some will delay that mm. boys and girls are different as well even mm. with siblings um and that I think it's a thing to say for me I would say to parents is 
what the dentist is looking for is make sure that the order of teeth growing and changing is the right one. It's mm -hmm. not the time, but as I said, if I see teeth that should have come through a lot later, coming first, and that one hadn't changed yet, mm -hmm. that is something like an alarm to investigate things further. Mm -hmm. So if you were to give advice to parents and children, you know, it's a difficult time. I always talk about I, you know, me choosing to study dentistry because I had positive experiences as a child with my dentist. So I think it's a it's a very influential time. You know, you whatever happens during your childhood, it sticks with you for a long time. A lot of patients that we see that are anxious now um, would have had some sort of bad experience years and years ago, usually during their childhood. So it stays with them for, for a very long time. So what would be your advice to parents and children who are trying to do their best? Like you're saying, you know, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, well, the textbooks say that you should stop breastfeeding this at this age, you should brush your teeth this many times. But practically, what can they start doing to try and improve their existing routines to try and keep the teeth as healthy as they can for as long as they can? had patients that they would say now they're at home the whole routine going in the morning and brushing your teeth getting you know ready dressed up uniform uniform on go to school that's gone out the window mm -hmm. so I would say for example because we'd say you have to brush your teeth with a fluoride toothpaste twice a day at mm -hmm. least we know that's work that works that protects your teeth fluoride according to the age of the child uh, and supervised tooth brushing and let, uh, until they're at least six or even older than that. So if you feel that, you know, one or two days, the whole morning routine has completely gone wrong and they have to go to their Zoom meeting or what mm. have you, or, you know, they go to school, but they, they were in a rush. Make sure you brush, for example, another time in the day. Mm. So a practical advice I would give to parents is definitely brush last thing at night. And that applies to little ones. And that's what we're saying. Anything else now, if we have to give a bottle because they will not settle, it should be one off. And we're trying to reduce that. We're not judging, but we're trying to reduce that. Mm -hmm. But the toothbrush and the floor should be the last thing at night. And then on another occasion. Usually morning works because it's a routine. But if you say to me, you know what, we've done it at lunchtime, it's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. and, you, know, you can understand that. So I would say aim for two fluoride toothpaste brushing um, twice a day. And if you can limit the snacks, we say to mealtimes. So I'm going to give you my personal opinion of that. I can't sometimes, you know, textbooks say, and that's the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. You know, scientifically, you have to give the sugar snack after a meal because it's the least it's the least distractive it can be for the enamel and we know that mm -hmm. there's no doubt about this but then I can't tell the parent that they want to settle their five-year-old to have chocolate after dinner because they say well I don't give them sugar after five o'clock because they'll mm -hmm. never go to bed so then I say okay so if we're if they need to have a sugary snack which I don't recommend to have in the middle of the day but if you say I'm going to give him his, his one sugary snack in the afternoon I will say to them go and brush the teeth out mm -hmm. so give them some practical advice so that you know they can actually survive the day mm -hmm. but 
also protect their teeth. Mm -hmm. So minimal, mi minimal amount of sugar during the day is the advice and should be like that. Opt for healthy snacks and it's good for, for the health as well. You know, mm. some vegetables, some cheese is great. Obviously not high fat, but some cheese for them mm. as well. Fresh fruit. Again, not mashed fruit, not juice, but fresh whole fruit that has mm. the fiber in it. And the, you know, the fructose is within the fiber. It's a different mm. molecule than having it mashed up, you know, as a puree or any juice, obviously. Mm. Um, and how many apples can a child have? They're not, but they're going to have easily the equal amount of sugar of many apples in a, in a glass of apple juice. Mm. So, you know, as any nutritionist, I'm sure would say, whole foods and fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And that's good for the children. And, you know, one off snack, you know, some chocolate, stay away from any toffees, sticky things that you can't remove from, your, from the teeth and they linger, or mm. any pureed sort of consistencies that the clearance is a lot slower. So that's how I would try and be practical, but also, you know, helpful, because you don't, you, you want them to have healthy teeth. Yeah. Do you know, I find that a lot of people have been saying that, you know, I think parents get quite defensive when it comes to diet because they say they have a lot of fruits, they have a lot of vegetables and I think dried fruits, I think there's some misconception about what is healthy and what isn't. So, you know, the child would come in snacking on a box of raisins that they've been snacking on for a while, or they'll have dried fruit or these fruit rolls, that kind of thing. So to me, I mean, you might as well have a, have a pack of Harry boats, you know? So I think you know because dried fruits have a lot of sugar content they usually have added sugar and they're quite sticky so they stick to the teeth and you know so with raisins for example they'll be snacking on that throughout the day and as we know with sugar it's frequency rather than amount so you know if they eat that whole box of raisins in one go it's much better for the teeth than if they're snacking on it throughout the day so I think that's also something that parents are quite surprised to hear that actually dried fruits aren't that great for the teeth they're almost as bad as having sweets but I think you know this is where I suppose <laughs> and then we can take it further now but you know it's our, our responsibility yeah and you know society's responsibility how we, we educate parents mm -hmm. because you know I'm sure I mean I was force-fed raisins when I was a child because my mum thought it was amazing for me and I hate them, I hate them. <laughs> I them because I was made to eat them because she thought they're you know they're good they're, you know they yeah they have some good to them, but no, it doesn't outweigh them. In moderation, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, but what I'm saying is she didn't think that she was harming me for sure. She just thought, mm. you know, what's amazing instead of having chocolate. And mm. um, so I think the way we all think we need to approach is education. So you have to explain. And I would say never judge. Yeah. So explain to everyone. But, you know, they, they don't know that this amazing granola bars because mm. I've had mummies that say to me, but well, we make this granola bar at home and we're adding this and that and honey and honey is good for you. I'm like, no, it's, it's yeah. not. I mean, the benefits you get from, from honey, and I'm Greek, and honey is like, if you tell my father that honey is not good for you, he's again. <laughs> so I know that. But I'm going to say to, to them that to get the benefits from honey, you have to have the whole pot. You're mm -hmm. going to be really sick if you do that. <laughs> so actually still sugar and if you enjoy it and if you like and you want this instead of sugar that's mm -hmm. fine but don't think this is you know this is not 
it's not risky for tooth decay. I agree with you. I think it's not about judging at all whatsoever, because I think parents can become... Um, you know, defensive and withdrawn if they think you're judging them. But I'm always really honest and transparent about the fact that I love sweets. I have sweets a lot, probably more than I should. But I talk about it because I think you're allowed. I think you're allowed to have them. It's just the way you have them that's, you know, making the difference. As long as you're brushing your teeth, as long as you're reducing frequency, follow up with water, all these kind of things that help you. So I, I always say, look, I'm here to help you because you can eat your sweets. Just have them in this way that they don't affect your teeth. Because, you know, if you if you say don't have sweets ever, that's unrealistic. You know, no one's going to stick to that. I'm not going to stick to that. So I think, you know, you you build trust and rapport with someone and, and patients and parents when you're real and you you kind of tell them that you have the same struggles that they do. Because obviously we have teeth as well. We do the same things for our own teeth. We have the same urges to eat chocolates and sweets and that kind of thing. But the way you eat them makes the bigger impact, the biggest impact. And I think that's what we need to start educating people on. Obesity, for example, and tooth decay in children is related. So it's a bigger problem that we all have mm-hmm. to look at. Um, and, uh, you know, things like that, we need to get going. We need to talk about these things as you're mm. doing now very well. So you're bringing these issues up, which, you know, every parent that I meet, they have the same concerns and questions. They come in because... They don't want the child to be in pain. Mm-hmm, they don't mm-hmm. want to harm them. But maybe that, that they think they're doing the right thing, you know. Yeah. And yeah. we have to, to be open about it. And, you know, about we're talking about advertising sweets everywhere and, you know, how difficult for a parent that is tired and having a child in the supermarket and mm. then, you know, having all these sweets around them. Mm. How do you stop them? How do you stop a tantrum in the middle of a supermarket? You just buy it for them and then say so, you yeah. know what I just couldn't cope mm. so which is all, fair enough yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Know, it's yeah. a lot of things happening and a lot of things coming into this um mm-hmm. I'm not taking the, you know the personal responsibility away from this but we have to look at the bigger picture I think um as, as you know people as clinicians Thank you so much, Dr. Kalkani. It's been such a wonderful chat. I feel like there's so much more we need to talk about and there's so much more we can talk about, but I'm quite conscious of the time. Thank you so much for your time and for educating us all on, on this topic. Thank you very much for listening. I really hope you enjoy this episode and hopefully you've learned something new as always I would love to know what you thought of this episode so feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manicherry and also if you have any suggestions or questions relating to the podcast please let me know there there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon